0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I want to continue the series of messages that I've been speaking, but I want to kind of take it into the New Testament today. And uh, I want to start with Matthew chapter 16 and uh, the 13th verse. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And this is not part of the message. But I want you, but we need to understand that it is very important about who you say that Jesus is because he will be in your life. Listen, what God has provided for that you believe him for, right? What, you've, what he has provided for that you believe him for. Faith is not getting God to do something he does not want to do. Faith is responding To what God has already done. And there's there's a world of difference. And we'll talk a little bit about more of that in a couple of moments. So Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying, he said, you did not come by this naturally. You didn't study. You didn't figure this out, right? This came to you by revelation. God revealed this to you. And and what we typically do is we, we call this revelation knowledge. It's not something that you figured out. It's something that God by the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And when that revelation comes, transformation comes. See, you can have mental assent. In fact, John Wesley was the one who uh, came up originally with this mental ascent definition of, of, I believe that it's true, but it's not changing my life. I, I believe it up here, but it's not down here. Right? When it gets down here, it's revelation knowledge. And when revelation comes, transformation comes. When there is revelation, it changes the way that you live. 2 right? Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, it, it, technically, this could be translated, if anyone is in union with Christ. Now, we've seen looking at Romans 5, verse 12, that everybody begins in union or in Adam. Romans 5 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Adam was our representative. He represented us in all that he did. And when Adam sinned, everybody that was in him sinned with him. So what God did 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. It says, in the, first ad, the first Adam became a living being. The first Adam, he lived in a garden with Eve. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Uh, then the Bible tells us the last Adam is the Lord from heaven. It's Jesus. Just like the first Adam took us into sin, the second or the last Adam, Jesus, he came and he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He paid for our sin. And in God's eye, Jesus didn't go to the cross alone. He took you to the cross. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, my old man was crucified with Christ. In God's eye, Jesus wasn't on the cross alone. Just like the first Adam didn't sin all alone, the last Adam didn't go to the cross alone. He took you there. And there your sin was judged and your sin was paid for. And you were buried with him. But the Bible says that you also were raised with him. And then you ascended with him and you're seated together with him at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Not in church, because you can be in church and be a mess. It doesn't say anybody's trying to be in Christ or someday going to be in Christ or that they, they're, they're, they should be or might be eventually. Because this is like being pregnant. You are or you're not. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. But if you're in Christ, you're in union with him and everything that he did. Because you've accepted what he did and you are now in union with him. You're a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The uh, translator's New Testament talks a little bit about, about this phrase, in Christ or in him, in whom, in the beloved. Used 160 times in Paul's writings. And it, it says here, this is taken from the translator's New Testament. Life in Christ represents a new life principle. And the phrase may be regarded as a technical term in Paul's theology. So when Paul wrote and Paul said, in Christ, in union with him, in him, in the beloved, he's talking about a whole existence that Jesus took you to the cross, that you were buried with him, that you were raised with him, and you're seated together with him in heavenly places it's not just like in Christ. And what does it mean? It means that you were buried with him, that you died with him, that you were raised with him and you are seated with him. Romans 5, 17. If by one man's sin, death reigned through the one. One man, Adam's sin, death came into the world. It affected everybody because we were all connected to Adam. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, notice that little phrase, gift of righteousness. Every religion, except for Christianity, everyone, there are things that you do And there's things that you don't do to be made right with God. You're you're trying to reach out to God. In fact, that's really what religion is. Religion is trying to reach out to God. Christianity is not reaching out to God. Christianity is responding to God's reaching to you. But notice it says the gift of righteousness. So Romans 3.20 says no one has ever been made right with God by being a good person, by obeying the law. So no one's right with God because they say, God, I did this and I did this and I did this and I didn't do this and I didn't do that. It's always by faith. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Right? So the way that we become right with God is through the message of the gospel. It's believing that message. The Lovett translation says that verse like this. Yet the gospel is a power which emanates from God and saves all who believe in it. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. So the gospel does what? It shows you how God makes you as righteous as, as himself. It is a process which from beginning to end is entirely by faith. So you are not made right with God by the good things you do and the bad things you don't do. You're made right with God by faith. And it says here, the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power. Now here's what a lot of people think. They think prayer is the power. If I just pray enough, some people think, well, if if I just praise enough, somebody else might say, if I just fast enough, I'm going to get the power. But that is not the power. The gospel, the message of the gospel, it is the power of God. You say, what does that mean? That means this. The gospel is what God did in Christ. In Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That is the gospel. But when you believe the message of the gospel, the power that was in the event is present. Did you catch that? The power of the event is present when you believe the message. In one sense, we can say it like this. You can visit... The, resur- the, the death, burial, resurrection, and of ascension of Jesus, not just on Easter. You can visit it today. And if you visit it by faith, the same power that was present, that raised Jesus from the dead, is present today when you believe. The power of the event. The gospel is the power. I've had people say, well, I just wish you'd hurry up and pray with people. And I think, I just worry, I wish you'd hurry up and grab the gospel. Because the gospel is the power. Right? It's the gospel, it is the message. Stephen's translation says, The gospel, I say, can save men. For in it a way is revealed in which sinful men may be accepted before God and stand in his presence approved and forgiven. Think about it. The gospel makes you accepted, you're approved of. You're forgiven by the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that he made him that knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I love the Wade translation. It says, in who had acquaintance with God, God for our sake treated as the embodiment of sin. God treated Jesus as the embodiment of sin in order that we, in our part, might become through union with him. Through union with him. If anyone is in Christ in union with him, the embodiment of the righteousness that God desires. So the way that we become right with God is not by doing and not doing. It's by believing the message of the gospel. The, 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 the living Bible says it like this. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sin. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us or God's righteousness into us. It's a great exchange. God took your sin, put it on Jesus on the cross. But he took his righteousness and put that inside of you and me. Romans five seventeen. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, so much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. The Amplified Translation says, will reign as kings in life. Reign as kings in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible actually says in Romans, it's Romans, in Revelation chapter one, that God has made you to be a king and a priest to God, the father, you're a king. And I love what it says in Ecclesiastes four, where the word of a king is there is power. When you begin to speak from that place of authority that we have in Christ, there is power. Let me read uh, one more translation of Romans 5, 17. For if through the transgression of one individual, doth death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. So when Adam sinned, Satan used that opportunity to seize Adam's authority and dominion that God gave him over the earth. He used it to seize the sovereignty. All the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift in righteousness reign as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that you've been made righteous. But some of it, well, I don't feel righteous. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. That's why the Bible says this, 1 John 3, verse 9. It says, and shall assure our hearts before him. Because if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Now, notice the Bible says you need to assure your heart. Well, how do you do that? How do you assure your heart? You assure your heart by talking to it. How many of you know you have conversations constantly on the inside? There's self-talk. You know, and, and some of you, you're like saying, you know, I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I have made such a mess of my life. You know, that's not good self-talk, by the way. But the Bible talks about how you and I are supposed to talk. Right? In Philemon 1... It says this, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. So you're supposed to acknowledge every good thing. How many know every is not one good thing? There's lots of good things that you have because of your union with Christ. What Jesus did for you is not a small thing. The Bible calls it so great a salvation. Right? But you and I need to acknowledge those good things that belong to you in Christ. Another translation says it like, may deepen the understanding of all the blessings that our union with Christ brings us. Right? Because you went to the cross with him, there are blessings. There is an inheritance, the Bible says in Colossians, that belongs to you. So you need to assure your heart. You need to confess the word of God. The devil tells you he's constantly trying to condemn you. The Bible says one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. But what do you need to do? You need to acknowledge who you are in Christ. You need to get up in front of that mirror and say, listen to this. Jesus that never sinned took all of my sin and paid for it that I might be the righteousness of God in Christ. And I am righteous I please God. I'm in right standing with God. You know, when you begin to say that, when you begin to speak that, the Bible says it like energizes your faith, right? And you need to assure your heart because your heart will condemn you. The Bible says, even if your heart's condemning you, God's greater than your heart, right? The devil is the accuser of the brethren. So the Bible says this in Ephesians 3, In verse 10, to the intent now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So what God did in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, God's wisdom, his plan is to be made known by the church. Now, the church is not this building. You and I are the church. We're the church. All right, so God's wisdom is to be known, made known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's Satan and demons. God wants you, the church, to show the devil that Jesus whipped him, that he has no right, no dominion in your life and in your family. He wants you to show that. So just a couple verses later in verse 20, it says now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Now, here's what I think is interesting. I've heard this verse quoted so many times, but almost always, at least 95% of the time, that's where people stop. But that's not the end of the verse. And it's not the end of the thought. So God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Did you get that? His power is where? It's at work in us. Well, somebody says, well, without him, you can do nothing. Absolutely. Without him, you can do nothing. But you're in him and you're never without him. And his power is at work in us. We're always like, God, you know, do it, do it, do it. And God's like, hey, I did it. And I put the power in you. Now, the the book of Ephesians is, is one of Paul's letters to the church. And it's interesting because this is the letter where Paul is not correcting a problem. Almost everyone, there's a problem, right? But Paul's correcting it, or he's got to encourage them and give them instruction. But the book of Ephesians, particularly chapters 1, 2, 3, are written from the perspective of redemption has already taken place. Now, for example, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying. Now, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him in this prayer, and this prayer is going to be prayed by Christians, for Christians, literally for millennia. But Paul prays differently than most of us would pray. Most of us would pray and say, God, help him, God, deliver him, God, give him peace. God, give him victory. But that's not how Paul prays. Right? He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he wants you to have a revelation of who you are in him, in Christ, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Past tense, what it, it already is. It's not something that's gonna happen. It's already happened. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not what God is going to do, but what he's already done to you and what is your inheritance in Christ. In Colossians, it says that God qualified you for your share of that inheritance. You're not gonna be qualified, you are qualified. And what are the riches? Not what are gonna be someday when you get to heaven. Because most Christians think, I'm gonna have victory when I get to heaven. And you will. But you know what? You're not going to have any more victory when you get to heaven than you have now. You're not going to be any more righteous when you get to heaven than you are right now. And then he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Other translations say, In us and through us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seating at his own right hand in heavenly places far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. Literally, for you and I to have greater victory in our life, we need greater revelation. Greater revelation of what already has been done for us. In 2 Peter's epistle, the first chapter, second. and through the fourth verses, say this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, notice it says this, that has been given. This isn't something God's going to do someday. This is something that he already did. And he gave you everything that you need that pertains to life, your natural life, and godliness, your spiritual life. It's not going to get done. It's already done. If if we understand redemption, this is what we're going to understand, that we don't get God to do. You don't say, God, save Uncle Tom. Save him, God. Save my Uncle Tom. Well what do you want God to do? Jesus already went to the cross, took his sin and paid for it 100 percent, defeated the devil, and rose from the grave to prove the devil is defeated and there's forgiveness, and you've been justified. What more is God supposed to do? He can't do anything more to save Uncle Tom, because it's already been done. It's finished. What we need to do is explain it to Uncle Tom and then him receive it because it's all. Is it already done? It's already done. Now, that is true about salvation. When when you got saved, when I got saved, God didn't need to do anything else. We needed to receive by faith what had already been done. Now, it says that that is true about all things that pertain to life and godliness. You don't need to get God to do more for you to be delivered, for you to have peace, for you to be healed. You don't need to do, have God do more. The Bible says this, by whose stripes you were healed. In God's eyes, it's all paid for and already done. And we're thinking we need to get God to do more, to do something. But what we need to do is receive what's already been done. And there is a world of difference between trying to get something you don't have and recognizing you have something already. It's like one of them, you're on top of the hill and the other one, you're trying to get up there. And we need to recognize that redemption has already been paid for. And we were talking a little bit about how do we assure our hearts? You know, Every morning, Jeannie and I go through some confessions. And one of those confessions, it, part of it is found here in Luke chapter 10, in verse 19. And uh, this is how we read it in the morning. Jesus said, behold, here it says, I give to you. This is how we read it in the morning. Behold, I give Jeannie and Duane authority to trample on serpents, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm us. You say, how often do you do that 365 days a year? We do that. What are you saying? I'm assuring my heart. You've got authority. You're right with God. The devil is under our feet, right? So because of that, that's not just something for for the 12 or for the 70. That belongs to you. Jesus has given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, Satan and demons, and over all the power of the enemy. So in Mark 16, Jesus said, These signs will follow them that believe in my name. The list begins with, they will cast out demons, and it ends with, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. See, that belongs to you. Jesus has given his name to the church. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, it talks about the commandment that we've been given. And it's interesting, if we say to most of us New Testament Christians, and we say, what's the commandment? And we will say that you love one another. And do you know what? You get a 50%, which is, by the way, a failing grade. Because that's not, that's half the commandment. Listen to this. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and, part two, love one another as he gave us commandment. So there's one commandment, but it has two parts, right? First is you need to believe in the name. Believe in the name. Not in the person, but in the name. How many of you realize Jesus is not showing up every time you pray, every time you take authority? The difference between believing in the name and believing in the person would be if, if someone wrote you a check for $10,000 and signed their name and you went to the bank and you said, you know what? I've got this check, but I think he should come. I want him to be here. He's got to be here so I can cash the check. Well, then you believe in the person. But if you believe in the name, then his signature carries all the authority of the person. And the Bible tells us not to believe in Jesus here, but to believe in his name. That his name, in his name, there is everything that the person of Jesus purchased for you and for me. So we believe in the name of his son and love one another. That's the commandment. In Acts chapter 16, we find a great example of this. So the apostles are are ministering the word. It says, now, as it happened as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. Let me just say something. Demons are real. They are real. And the Bible says she was possessed by a demon of divination. The Greek says a python spirit. Now, we all know what a python does. It wraps itself around you and crushes you. That's what Satan... When you give Satan an open door, that's what he'll do. He'll try to come in and wrap himself around you and crush you. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right? And she brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, and he cried... And she cried saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us a way of, the way of salvation. This she did many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. He didn't say to her. He said to the spirit. He turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Do you know you have that same authority? You have that name? Right? Satan, above the Bible says it this way. God's given him a name above every name that those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth would bow. Every name, this name, has to bow to the name of Jesus. Well, that spirit immediately came out of her. Now, in Acts, the 19th chapter, it says that there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who took upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were one seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish high priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? I uh, like it. One translation says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I've heard about. But who are you? You know, Jeannie and I have a mentor. He's, he's 100 years old. Wayne Meyer lives in Mexico. He used to preach a sermon called, Have You Made Headlines in Hell? Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? <laughs> the, the, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These are the first streakers right here. <laughs> devils beat them up and ripped their clothes off, right? Because they didn't have faith in that name, and that name didn't belong to them but that name belongs to you. Uh, Let me close with a story. Uh, Most of you know for several years, Jeannie and I lived in Mexico, and uh, we had moved out to an Indian village, and and I went from our village to a different village. I had to ride mules. It was a, I don't know, 10 or 12-hour mule ride. Got back to this village. There's no electricity, of course, and so I brought a generator and some gas, a, a movie projector to show movies of Jesus, and a speaker system. So I'm in the church, and I was stringing up some lights in the church and uh, just got off that mule and was trying to get things set up before before dark. And I thought, I'm just going to sit back for a second and and just grab my breath. And and, and I did this. A guy got up on a platform, and he started, like, preaching. And and all of a sudden, he said, uh, and one day Jesus appeared, poof, in a puff of smoke. And I thought, I did not hear that. You no, know, and he went on again, and he, he said the same thing again. He said, one day Jesus just appeared on earth, poof, in a puff of smoke. Well, the Bible says this, 1 John, verse chapter 4, it says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, and it's already in the world. So there will ultimately be a person who is the Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist was already in the earth in the first century. Right? And, and let me just say this. Uh, the spirit of the Antichrist, more than anything, is a political spirit. Right? But when the spirit, a demonic spirit is in manifestation, it cannot confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So when he did that, I went up to him and, and uh, I, I, I said, uh, you know, uh, I talked to him a minute and I said, you know, I'd like to pray with you. And he says, oh, I just love to pray. So I said, well, can you just repeat this prayer? And so I said, oh, some, something to this effect. I said, oh, God, you're wonderful and, and we love you. And he says, God, you're wonderful and we love you. And Jesus you, you you are wonderful and, and we love you. And it was something, something like that And then I said, and Jesus, I thank you. You came in the flesh. And he says, and Jesus, we thank you. You came in the, you, 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 you. Thank you. You came. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, you. You came in the, 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 and he finally spit it out. Spirit. In fact, his voice changed. and And literally that spirit was in manifestation right in front of me. Now. I ended up taking him aside, and I worked with him for a few hours, right? And I I got him delivered. Now, here's what I found out. He was hearing voices, and he was having visions, but they were not voices and visions from God, right? And we got him free. I, I was back there several months later, and I said to the pastor, how's he doing? He said, he did really well for a couple months. He said, but he wanted to hear voices, and he says, and he, said, uh, he started to hear voices again, and he received them. And he says, I think he's worse now than he was before. You know what Jesus said? He said, when an evil spirit goes out of a man, it passes through dry places, and it says, I will go back to my house. Do you know when he says your house? He means your body. He says, my house is your body. He says, and then he goes, and he finds it swept. He finds it clean. But you haven't filled it with the Holy Spirit. You haven't filled it with the word of God. And Jesus said, he goes and finds seven other spirits worse than himself, and they come, and they abide there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. You know, if somebody doesn't want to be free, you can't get them free and keep them free. You can't do it. They've got to want to be free. Now, you say, why won't a demon confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, It says that because the children, that's you and I, partook of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, partook of the same. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body just like you have a flesh and blood body. And it says he came in a flesh and blood body that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. In order for Jesus to redeem you, he had to come in a flesh and blood body just like you have, just like I have. Now, you can only receive what Jesus did for you as long as you live in a flesh and blood body. See, someday you're going to die. Your body's going to die. And the real you is going to step out. And at that point, you're no longer in a flesh and blood body. And at that point, there's no negotiating. You know, I've talked to people and said, when I die, I'm just going to tell God I'm sorry and now I understand and now I'm going to change. No. The Bible says it this way in Ecclesiastes. It says, where the tree falls, there it will lie, whether to the north or to the south. It's not talking about trees. It's talking about people. When you die, instantly you're sealed, and you're either right with God or you're not right with God. And Jesus could not have redeemed us unless he came in a flesh and blood body. And the reason the devil will never admit it, Is because if he admits that Jesus came in a flesh and blood body, he's admitting he is defeated and there is no possibility of him turning anything around. And as smart as the devil is, he still thinks he's got a chance. But how many read the end of the book? He does not have a chance. He doesn't have a chance. So would you you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, I have talked with people before and I've said to them, are you a Christian? And here's their answer. I hope I am. I'm trying to be. I guess I'll find out when I die. The Bible says, 1 John, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. So you're not supposed to find out when you die if you're right with God. You're supposed to know today that you are forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. So this is what I wanna do, I wanna I want pray with you today. And we're gonna pray, we're, we're gonna call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible tells us to. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're gonna call on his name the way the Bible chose us to. And when we say amen, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, make these words your own and pray from your heart. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be in Christ. So I'm going to ask everybody, if you can, to take somebody's hand that's near you. and We're going to pray this prayer out loud. I want you to make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. I am not living for myself any longer. Jesus is my King and my Lord. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.